toilets should be should be convenient. They should be in your dwelling or near your dwelling or in your bedroom. I have one here. I can almost reach over and touch it right now. And there's no reason people around the world can't have an odor-free, hygienically safe, ecological toilet no matter where they are. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 54 with Joe Jenkins. Joe Jenkins has become a household name in the tiny house movement because he's the author of the Humanor Handbook, which is literally the Bible of composting human excrement. I read the Humanor Handbook while I was designing and planning my tiny house, and although I knew I needed a compost toilet for practical reasons, reading the book made me want to use a compost toilet for ethical and environmental reasons. In this wide-ranging interview, Joe talks about the fourth upcoming edition of the Humanor Handbook, what has changed in composting over the years, and general tips on how to make it work the best in your home. I hope you stick around because it is a great interview. Before we get to the show, I just want to remind you that the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast comes out every Friday morning. The best way to make sure that you get each new episode is by subscribing. The podcast is listed pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So just search for the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. I love seeing that the show reaches new listeners every week, so hopefully you can be one of them. There are more subscribe options over at thetinyhouse.net slash THLP. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THLP, which stands for Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for subscribing to the show. All right, I am here with Joe Jenkins, the author of The Humanor Handbook. The Humanor Handbook was something of an accidental literary phenomenon. Uh, Joe began writing the book as a master of science in sustainable systems as a thesis in the early 90s. Not content with academic convention, but fascinated with the topic of humanor composting, Jenkins decided to convert the book's language into a popular format and self-publish the thesis as a book. Joe Jenkins, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Uh, it's uh, great to be here. Great to have you. Um, you know, I recommend the Humanor Handbook all the time as as the Bible of composting human manure, well, human waste. Although you might, I think in the book you say you shouldn't call it waste because it waste denotes something that's useless. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, there, 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 there's one term that shouldn't be used with a compost toilet system, and that is waste, because nothing is being wasted. In fact, a compost toilet is a toilet that doesn't collect waste, and it doesn't dispose of waste. There is, in fact, no waste at all. No waste at all. So what, what should we call this stuff that comes out of us instead of waste? Well, that's where he, the term humanor came from. Um, you know, it's human manure. Human excrement, uh, you know, you can use, there's tons of terms, feces, fecal material, urine, night soil, but there, there really wasn't any English term for human excrement recycled. Mm -hmm. 
constructively recycled. Um, so at least through composting. So I just had to make one up. Well, it's it's got a good ring to it. It's definitely catchy. It it explains what it is right in the title. And I think people, when they are interested in tiny house living, this toilet thing is, it's everybody's favorite topic. It's It's what people who don't live in tiny houses want to ask, you know, how do you use the bathroom in your tiny house? Well, just like everyone else. But they've really become a great option for tiny houses on wheels, especially because, you know, a house that's not set in one location is not as easy to hook up to plumbing and all that kind of stuff. And I guess I wanted to start by asking you um, kind of about the current state of, of humanure composting. Do you see it as being on the rise over time? Oh, absolutely. Um, worldwide. Uh, I, I'm just coming out with a new, the next edition of the humanure handbook. It's actually, uh, it's expect, I'm expecting it any day, actually. Uh, it was supposed to be finished in uh, production was supposed to be finished last week, and it's really it really is the 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 edition to to read. It's it kind of brings 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 all those these topics up to date. I've I've done a lot of traveling lately. Um, the last two years, I was in twenty one foreign countries. Much of that was human or related. And what what I found is that there are two and a half billion people, uh, more than a third of all human beings don't have toilets at all. Many, almost a billion uh, just open defecate, meaning they just go out and uh, shit anywhere. So we, you've got two and a half billion people without toilets you've got almost a billion that don't that they just open defecate they go out in, in uh in the in the grass or the behind a tree every day and uh many billions uh just uh, use a hole in the ground as a toilet and um that's all over the world and those holes uh, can't be near the living space, the living area, the hut, the house, the, the whatever it is that they're living in, because they stink so bad. And they're full of flies, full of maggots. Um, so, and they're, you know, they have, uh, they pollute the groundwater. Kids fall in them. Uh, kids get killed in them. Um, and so you have to, if you're, if you're in one of the Africa or Central America or Asia or someplace and, and you, and you need to use the toilet often, it's a hundred feet, 200 feet away, even in restaurants in Mongolia, for example, fancy restaurant, you had to go outside and, uh, about a hundred, 150 feet to a hole in the ground. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a shelter over it, but the, the problem then is toilets should be, should be convenient. They should be in your dwelling or near your dwelling or in your bedroom. I have one here. I can almost reach over and touch it right now in my office. Uh, I'm sitting about eight, it's about eight feet from me upstairs. 
in a house. I have actually three in this house. And there's no reason people around the world can't have an odor-free, hygienically safe, ecological toilet, no matter where they are. And I, I bring this issue up because as I traveled the world, I found so many people who were elderly, had trouble walking, maybe were bedridden, maybe had one leg or no legs, uh, or maybe, maybe uh, you know, younger people with a bunch of kids. So you got a bunch of kids, it's night, it's raining. The toilet is 100 feet away outside, and it's a hole in the ground. I mean, there's no reason for this anymore. The problem is the flush toilet cultures only, for the most part, uh, promote fl- water toilets. And, and water toilets cannot be used in most of the world. They just can't. There's no infrastructure. There's no water. So um, in a tiny house or any kind of a house where you don't have plumbing or maybe even electricity, uh, a compost toilet will work just fine. And you can put it right beside your bed and there will be zero odor. Zero odor if you use the right cover material and use it correctly. I've used uh, I've used the compost toilet for 40 years, over 40 years actually. But in this location, this is my uh, 30. Let's see, came here in '79. This is 2019, so I'm, I'm closing in on 40 years here. And all I've all I've ever had in here is a compost toilet. I have three in a house. I have one in an outside uh, guest uh, like apartment. I have two in my office, which is up over the hill, and I have one up at the lake. I have a little lake up here. So all of that toilet material was collected and composted and used to grow food in my garden. Yeah, and I've, I definitely recommend people checking out your website because you've got great videos just showing your whole process from the composting facility to your gardens, which look really beautiful. Um, and it really gives people a sense of what is possible um, when you're creating such rich compost. Well, yeah, your your a compost toilet produces soil fertility, or you could say a compost toilet is a toilet that makes makes gardens, uh, as opposed to a water toilet which makes sewage. And sewage, you know, I mean, you can look at a garden or you, you can look at sewage uh but that's if you're going to look at an end product of a toilet system that's what you're going to see with a compost toilet versus a flush type toilet um i get into this a lot in my new book uh, the, the fourth edition of the human or handbook it, the subtitle is shit in a nutshell and you can act people can actually order now on Amazon. It's 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 a number been a number one new release in five different categories already. So I'm I'm looking forward to it coming out. Um, but I, I you know I discussed the international issue and the big issue uh, I think the biggest maybe the biggest issue with where I'm at now with compost toilets and stuff is I, I, it finally dawned on me that that people that flush toilet cultures like ours uh, we still live in a 19th century mentality when it comes to toilets and and not just toilets but uh, human excrement we believe that human excrement is a waste material and it's full of pathogenic disease-causing organisms 
that is the common conception among people in flush toilet cultures. Human waste is full of pathogens, must be disposed of as quickly and as readily as possible, blah, blah, blah. But that's not true. Human excrement is a is an organic resource and it's full of beneficial microorganisms, not pathogens. If you happen to be sick, you may be passing pathogens uh, through your excretions. But if you're not sick, why would you think your poop is full of disease organisms? You know, but people just think that. They think, oh my God, my, you know, my poop is full of disease organisms. That's what they keep hearing over and over and over again. But it isn't. It's full of beneficial, beneficial microorganisms. In fact, our whole body is, you know, finally, uh, very slowly, but finally, the medical field is starting to understand the importance of the microbiome. You might have stumbled upon that that term and that um, that subject matter, the, the microorganisms that live inside us and on us. When I was in Tanzania last year, I was up on a mountainside with a bunch of tribal uh, elders, actually, about 150 of them came to hear me talk. And I stood up there and I said to them, half of life on earth is invisible. And of course they just, yeah, they just stared at me like, you know, I'm talking through an interpreter, but they just stared at me like, what? And then I said, you have so many invisible single-celled organisms in your body and on your body that are not you, that if you scrape them all up into a pile, they'd weigh as much as your brain. What, what makes this phenomenon interesting to me is that these microorganisms were here, have been here on the earth for three and a half billion years, way before humans. Humans just got here and humans will, will go extinct and microorganisms will continue on as if nothing ever happened. So most of those microorganisms are beneficial. We need them. We evolved. We co-evolved with them. They're in us. They digest our food. They protect our bodies. Uh, they boost our immune system and they come out in our poop. And when we uh, compost uh, our, our organic material, there are a certain type of microorganisms that are dormant that come to life. And those are the thermophiles, uh, which are extremely interesting uh, type of bacteria, they sporulate, they form a spore whenever their conditions aren't right for them to multiply. They go into this like dormant spore form and uh, wait until the conditions are correct. And the conditions become correct when we pile up organic material. That causes mesophilic bacteria to raise the temperature of that organic material up to a point where the thermophilic bacteria are sparked back into life. And it's like a tag team, like a bacterial or microscopic tag team. And um, what happens is uh, our poop and every other thing we throw into that pile, it gets converted back into soil. So, or, or earth, or, you know, uh, back into Mother Earth. That's the, the, it's an it's a astonishing phenomenon, really. So, we're 
still living in a 19th century mentality where, you know, where people were crapping in the holes in the ground and polluting the groundwater and everybody was getting sick and there were, uh, you know, epidemics of cholera and whatnot. And so somehow we never evolved beyond that mentality in this country, in flush toilet cultures. Whereas if I go to Africa or Central America or something like that, where they never had flush toilets and never developed that mentality, they are really accepting and interested in compost toilet uh, sanitation systems. And composting is what it is. I mean, you learn how to compost, and when you do, it turns out that your excretions are great food for compost organisms. I think I've seen or just observed around me a lot of acceptance over time of composting kitchen scraps and not putting food scraps into the waste cycle. But I think that you're right that there's still a mentality, the flush toilet mentality that, ew, this is gross and unsanitary, and I don't want to have to interact with it at all. Yeah. Well, actually, I think the most sanitary system available, uh, you can't use a flush toilet without polluting the water, and you're polluting the water with your excretions. Um, That water has to go somewhere, and it ends up, you know, um, polluting our rivers, lakes, streams, groundwater, and estuaries or, or, or sea coasts. Uh, I have a lot of statistics in the in the new edition, We've kind of updated all that about the degree of pollution that, that we have to live with, water pollution that we have to live with. And it's not just us in the U.S., it's all over the world. Uh, any place where there are waterborne sanitation systems, there's hu- there are huge water pollution issues. So, whereas composting eliminates that that issue completely. Right. So I have some questions for you kind of about the nitty-gritty, some things that I have come up with over the years, because I, I do use the humanor composting toilet, as you described in the book. Um, and I have some questions, things that often come up with, with readers and listeners and just questions that I've generated over you know five or six years of using the system are you are you up for answering some absolutely the first thing that i wrote down that i wanted to have you talk about is uh urine diversion um i do not divert urine because you know i remember reading in the book that we need that nitrogen for the compost pile Um, but what i've seen in a lot of tiny house dwellers at least is that they're using you know some kind of urine diverting system um, and they claim that it makes it a lot easier to lift the buckets, uh, makes it smell less when they're emptying them, and that um, that they are happy with that type of system. And, and I'm curious if you could talk more about, you know, urine diversion and whether you still, you know, recommend having everything go into the same receptacle. Um, yeah, I, I get into that issue into the, in the new book. Um, there are, first off, there's no such thing as a composting toilet. Uh, they're, they're dry toilets. Uh, I'm trying to get that cleared up, uh, that semantics issue cleared up. Uh, composting is not occurring, occurring in the toilet. 
it's not a composting toilet. I call them compost toilets because uh, the material is collected in order to be composted, but there is no composting occurring in a toilet itself. Uh, dry toilets were um, developed um, mostly starting in, in Scandinavia, I believe. Uh, and what they, they were not compost related toilets. There, there was no composting going on with the early dry toilets. There was dehydration. The solids were separated from the liquids and the solids were, the liquids were drained or evaporated and the solids were dehydrated, uh, which caused them to shrink and dry up. And then they, they, they looked like compost, but it's not compost. So that's where the whole urine separation thing came from. It came from the early dry toilets, and uh, which have nothing to do with composting, nothing. Uh, composting is a completely different thing. You want the urine. You want the moisture. You want the nitrogen. Uh, urine is, is great for the compost pile. So no, if you're going to make compost, never separate the urine. If you're trying to dehydrate your toilet contents and dispose of it, which is what uh, most dry toilets do, then separate your urine, whatever you want to do. But I do not get involved with dry toilets at all. It's, my focus is simply composting. And um, if you want to learn how to compost, which is what you should do, in my opinion, because for lots of different reasons, then you, you don't you don't want to separate the urine. Another question that I have is what systems have you come up with or do you recommend when it's not so easy for somebody to have the actual composting facility? Because um, you just made the point, which is very, very true, that the composting doesn't take place in the toilet. That needs to take place outside in a compost pile. And I'm imagining somebody who lives in a city and doesn't have any really yard space or even somebody in uh, a camper or a tiny house on wheels who is traveling and doesn't necessarily have the ability to have that external compost facility, um, is there kind of a next best thing for that kind of lifestyle? Well, uh, that, that's a frequently asked question. Um, and um, you have to have a compost bin or or you know, some type of composting system available. In some cases, uh, the, the toilet containers are collected and swapped out and uh, composted by a trained composting crew. We set up a system in a village in Haiti, about 1,500 people there, and that's what they did. They, they actually it was it was a village there were no cars no electricity and they make they carried their their toilet receptacles to a compost yard there were two of them in the village and they swapped them out for empty ones and uh, they were provided with their cover material and they made hundreds of tons of compost beautiful compost that way uh, so the actual individual households were not composting their own uh, organic material but they could have been because it was haiti and they all had yards so to speak in an apartment building you know something like that airports you know uh the issues uh to me are not 
those are not issues to me because there are two, like I said, 2.9, something like that, billion people without toilets. Uh, that's what I think is important right now on this planet. People who already have flush toilets, you know, uh, if they want to switch to compost toilets, uh, they have to figure it out, what, how to do it or what to do. Um, and uh, any place where, for example, there's a portable portable toilets are in use, they could be uh, compost toilet systems. Um, if you're in a, if you're traveling, then uh, in a tra some kind of a, maybe a tiny house or RV or something like that, well, then you have to find uh, a source uh, location where somebody will accept your organic material and feed it into their composting system. So it may not be practical. Yeah, it may not be practical. And, and maybe in those situations, that is where a dry toilet might be more ideal um, because at least you're not polluting a bunch of water, but you're able to essentially dry out your excrement over a period of time and then dispose of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I wanted to ask you about cover material. Um, I personally have used um, shavings from a, um, a wood shop, which I found to be too kind of fluffy. Um, I've used peat moss in a pinch, but I, I feel that um, after learning about the um, harm to the environment that comes from harvesting peat moss, I've shied away from that. Um, ultimately, in Vermont, I'm lucky because we have a lot of um, sawmills that are still operating, so I'm able to get, um, you know, 50-gallon trash can full of great, you know, pine and pine sawdust for two bucks. Um, what do you recommend for people who aren't in the proximity of, uh, you know, a sawmill? What commercially available products are out there for cover material that are inexpensive and environmentally less harmful than peat moss? Um, again, frequently asked question. That's that's uh, usually the, the top of the top of the list of questions. Uh, just to back up a second with the pine shavings, um, you know, if you have space in your yard or something like that and you have access to pine shavings or, or shavings like that uh you can just pile those up and outside and leave them let them let them sit out there and rot for years if necessary then then they make a suitable cover cover material material but when they're you know when they're bone dry and, and all fluffy and stuff they don't they don't they're, they're not very good at all uh Throw them outside, let them let them rot down uh, for you know years if necessary, and then now then now you have you have a suitable cover material. Uh, tree sawdust is is great. It's a hundred percent effective biofilter. It makes good compost. Uh, you need to be in a wooded or near a wooded area or have access to uh, the sawdust in some manner. Um, other parts of the world, they have other things, uh, rice husks, uh, sugarcane bagasse. We use a lot of that. That's ground up sugar canes. It's kind of like the sawdust we have here, except there they grind up uh, 
sugar cane to, to make sugar, uh, squeeze the juice out of it, and what's left looks like kind of like a mix of sawdust and straw, perfect for compost. Um, and there are, there are other things like that, but my last trip to Africa, Africa and India, uh, occurred to me that what what we need is some you know some means for people to grind up their own cover material and not have to go buy it anywhere. Uh, some lady in California emailed me a couple months ago, and she, you know she she bought a grinder, chipper shredder type thing, and she grinds up her. Uh, um, blackberry brambles you can't use them for anything you know but they make decent cover material and she'll grind up a, a trailer load at a time um and so what i'm trying to do now is figure out a way either to manufacture something or uh or purchase something already available that will provide that uh the means of, of grinding up um, organic material to be used for compost toilets. If you go uh, to, say, a village in Africa, uh, say, corn uh, cobs, corn cobs, for example, the goats eat them, the cows eat them. You know, there's so much stuff that you would think you could grind up for cover material, but you can't because they're, they're consumed by the animals. Same with food scraps. Mongolia, I could, there's no food scraps. The dogs eat them, and that's all they eat. There's no dog food. Uh, but there are lots of things that can be ground up that nothing's eating, uh, you know, leaves and grasses and whatnot, uh, that could easily be gathered and ground up rapidly. In five minutes, you could grind up enough cover material for a family to use all week, you know. So we have to be developing those technologies and those approaches and maybe bill gates will finally realize instead of squandering all the money on the on the nano toilets and whatnot that that they could help out a little with uh um helping people develop compost toilet systems and, and one way is to come up with uh, some grinding mechanisms so people can grind up their their own cover material um in a village, you know, we could we could have we could set up like compost centers and maybe have one grinding machine. It could be pedal powered, and uh, you know, people can bring a basket of their whatever they're gathering to grind and throw it in a hopper and grind it up, take it back, and they've got their cover material for the week. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So that's that's the direction we're going. Great. Yeah, that that would be very helpful. And I've used, you know, we have access to a tractor at the tiny house with a, you know, a PTO chipper, but that creates wood chips that are too big for use inside. And we have let them rot. Sometimes I'll mix them into the compost pile itself. Um, but I'd be interested to know what kind of grinder that that uh, woman bought just to learn more about what is out there for grinding things up into smaller bits. Yeah, she she said uh, it was a five horsepower uh, chipper shredder that she bought. You know, like a I don't know some 
local, easy, easy, easy to get uh, store. And it was a shredding part of it that it worked, not the chipping part. Chipping parts, like you say, you you can't have big chunks of wood. Uh, the smaller they are, the better, you know, to a point because bacteria, bacteria are, you know, microscopic and they live on the surface of the particles uh, and they they don't have legs they they don't walk they swim so uh, that's another reason to keep urine in your compost everything has to be damp everything and in order for the microorganisms to to have any motility to be able to multiply etc you have to have the moisture in there and so the smaller the particles are the more surface area and therefore, the easier it is for the microbes to, uh, to live and consume the organic material. So another question that I had for you, um, and I'll, it's a, I have to start with a story. So um, two years ago, uh, my wife and I got married and we hosted the wedding on the land where our tiny house is, which is, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of infrastructure. Um, so essentially, the wedding was off grid. And um, instead of renting porta potties for our 160 or so guests, um, we actually built two small structures and um, made all of our guests use humanor toilets. And um, it was a, it was controversial. You know, my mom is like, "Are you really going to make your grandmother like use a composting toilet?" Yes, yes, I will. Um, Long story short, it was totally fine. Everyone was really impressed with the whole system. But, you know, I didn't want to have to be emptying buckets during my wedding party. And so our solution was to just have lots and lots and lots of extra five-gallon buckets, you know, with a kind of pre-charge of sawdust in them ready to go. But I was curious if you have come up with any, like, larger-scale system that maybe somehow could use a larger bucket or just some other collection system for events where you're going to have, you know, hundreds of people using a toilet over and over again and emptying individual five-gallon buckets might be inconvenient or not possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, we've used anything, the toilet receptacles, anything from five gallons up to 55 um, willy bins, you know, garbage cans like things. Um, and as you point out, your procedures were, were correct. You, first off in a situation like that, you would normally have somebody manage the system. Um, you know, maybe pay somebody or get a volunteer whose job is to keep an eye on the on the toilets, make sure they're clean, make sure there's cover material, make sure if they're getting filled up, they're swapped out, etc. Number two, no pun intended, um, the receptacles, when they're full, no matter what size they are, uh, are just pulled out with a lid and replaced with an empty one that has a few, lay you know, a few inches of cover material in the bottom. And that way, nobody's nobody's doing any of the compost until after everybody's left. Could, you could be a week later, could be a year later. 
I looked at a, I visited a site. Actually, it was a, a music festival in Kentucky. I have a video of this on YouTube. And they used 55-gallon wheelie bins. And when they were full, they, they wheeled them out, put a, closed the lid, and just left them. And didn't do anything with them for an entire year and then when you know i came and looked i, I got there and i said you know, what are you guys doing with this stuff and they said well nothing they're still there from last year i said well let me look at it and and I, that this is all on video so i looked at it and i said well now yeah, let's put it in a compost bin and we dumped it in compost bins and it was you know, hardly any odor at all um so it's pretty pretty simple uh in in haiti we used a lot of you know, five gallon receptacle is like a 20 liter. Uh, in Haiti, we used a lot of uh, 60 liter, which is three times as big drums. Uh, in India, we're finding various size receptacles uh, from from 20 liters up to 60 liters. And... Um, if, if as long as you have several of them, when one's full, they all have to have lids, slide it out, or pull it out, or lift it out. However, the toilet is built. You know, the bigger ones, we we slide them out. We don't lift them. They slide out the front um, or the back, whatever. But usually the front. And uh, you put a lid on them. You just leave them there. You can leave them right there in the toilet room. They don't smell or anything. There's no flies or nothing. And Whoever's managing the toilet eventually comes along, takes them out, and uh, feeds all that uh, organic material to the, to the compost bins, wherever they are. And usually they're nearby because the object is to make it as simple as possible. The schools uh, in, in Haiti, uh, we used 60-liter um, receptacles there. And, and again, these videos are on YouTube, um, and uh, they they slid out from underneath, so you couldn't even see them in the toilet room. Uh, they were underneath the floor. You go around behind the little building. It was, the building was on a bank, so you could just slide these out. And ten feet away were the compost bins, so they literally came right out, and went straight into the bins. Um, very simple, no odor at all, no flies or anything like that. Something I, want, I, I, I kind, of, I'm kind of make an issue out of in, in the new edition of the Humanor Handbook, and that is uh, uh, the, the use of the word bucket is problematic because uh, there is such a thing as a bucket toilet, and it's not a compost toilet. And a bucket toilet is, is, is an actual thing in the sanitation world. And it's, uh, it's not something that we want compost toilets to be associated with. A uh, bucket toilet is just a bucket you shit in. When, you, when it fills up, you dump it outside. They stink. They're full of flies. They're horrible. Uh, <clears throat> often used in prisons, places like that. And um, they're they're condemned. They're highly they're strongly condemned by everybody in the sanitation field. A compost toilet, on the other hand, is nothing 
nothing like a bucket toilet. It's the compost toilet. The organic, the toilet material is collected and covered with a carbon-based material, so there is no odor, there are no flies, and uh, the collected material is dumped into a compost system where it's recycled. So um, people don't know, who don't know about compost toilets, but know about bucket toilets, as soon as you say you're using a bucket, they think it's a bucket toilet. And that's a problem just because of the misunderstandings and the misuse of the terminology. So, for example, in in uh, Uganda last year, uh, this group that I, I work with, GiveLove.org, in California, they set up uh, compost toilets in a prison where they were using bucket toilets. And uh, it changed uh, the quality of life for the prisoners immensely. Because they're all, you know, got 30 guys in a room uh, that's probably 25 feet in diameter. They're all laying on the floor, and there's a bucket of shit in the middle of the room, and they have to smell it all night long. Uh, when they switched over to compost toilets, the odor w was gone, and uh, there was no pollution uh, in the environment as there was with the bucket toilets where they were just dumping them outside. So in fact, the people there said that if they didn't have those compost toilets, they would have had to shut the whole prison down because they had no acceptable form of sanitation. Once they got the compost toilets set up and they're very simple to set up, they were good to go. No pun intended. Like I say, I have uh, videos on YouTube of, of all these things, short videos, but enough that you can get to, you get to see what I'm talking about. Have you ever designed a system where the receptacle is also the compost pile? But basically, what you're what you're asking is why can't you just shit right into the compost bin? Sure. Uh, and you can. Um, I pee in mine. The outside yeah. one. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you you can do that. Uh, and some people, you know, do. I've seen household systems like that where they have something in the basement. But for me, I, like I said, I have a toilet eight feet away from me as I sit here right now. I can get up. I can use that toilet. I can sit back down here. You, I could, you know, you, you wouldn't even know it. If you... It, Toilets, toilets should be convenient. They should be convenient and handy. Uh, <clears throat> if you have your toilet over your compost bin, there's only one place you can use the toilet. You have to go there. With a, uh, with a little compost toilets like these human or lovable loop type things, you can put those anywhere. And that makes them convenient. Uh, and that convenience is something that I wouldn't trade for anything, you know, sure, you got to you got to carry uh, the organic material, toilet material, out to a compost bin periodically. But it sure beats having to go out to a compost bin to use the toilet every time you need it. And if you drink coffee in the morning, you drink beer, wine, anything like that, where you you know that that increases your uh, frequency of urination, you're really happy to have a toilet nearby. So that's why I have one in my office. I have one 
in my office upstairs and in my my business location and one downstairs as well um and um it'd be nuts to have to go outside or go someplace some fixed location especially outside uh just to have to use the toilet so the the last question that i had written down um and I, I have looked at videos on your YouTube channel about this, and that is any tips on keeping your pile from freezing. I've I've yet to make it through a winter without my pile freezing, which it's not a big deal. In the spring, everything thaws out, and then you know the temperature of the pile usually goes bananas. You know, as things thaw and the composting process starts again, but. Any tips on keeping a pile going all winter? I intentionally dwell on these exact questions in the new book. Um, it's there's, there's a couple of couple of things. Mainly, it's the use of the cover material. Uh, you always start a bin with a what I call biological sponge. It's a bunch of material on the bottom before you start adding any food scraps or toilet material and then here's here's the 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 important uh element what i call center feeding the bin and that is uh, if you've uh are familiar with composting people always talk about layering the compost and uh, turning the compost, et cetera. None of that is relevant uh, to what we're doing or what you're doing or what anybody's doing if they're composting toilet material. What you want to do is start with a, a cover material cushion, uh, a biological sponge underneath, and then feed your new material into the center of the compost bin, which always has a nice thick layer of cover material on top as well so what happens is you pull the cover material apart dig into the compost make a hole or a depression and then put your new material in there then pull the existing compost over the new material and then pull the cover material back over that and add more cover material as needed so what's happening when you're doing that is you're developing what I call a cover material cushion or blanket around the sides. There's the sides uh, of, of the bin, of, of the compost inside the bin, has a layer of cover material now all the way around because you're center feeding. You're feeding into the middle, pulling it open as you do, pushing the cover material against the sides, and that gives you a, a an insulated uh, compost uh, bin and uh, that's that's a technique that's very simple easy to do and I also describe it in the uh, the new edition it's what I've learned over the years works best and, and it's, it's the only really the only only way that I make will make compost uh, at you know anymore the other thing is my compost bin, my compost froze solid for about the first 10 years. Now, I wasn't center feeding. I wasn't using cover material correctly. 
uh, you know, I was making all the mistakes that most people are still making now. But after 10 years, uh, you know, it, 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 it never froze again. And I think that's partly due to the fact that uh, so many generations of bacteria have, take, have occurred that they're kind of evolving to adapt to, to this, this location. So that, that's another factor that you know, I can't prove that or anything, but I think that plays a role. If you have a compost bin in the same place year after year, uh, you're, you're, you're breeding uh, microorganisms that adapt to that location. So between that and the uh, cover material cushion and the center, center feeding, uh, mm -hmm. I think those are, that's the, the main solution. Another thing is in the winter, uh, the more you feed the, the compost, the hotter it will, will make, the more heat it will maintain. So if, if you don't feed it, you know, like, for example, uh, I was in Europe last fall for two, three weeks, and I didn't feed my household compost bin here for about six weeks because I only feed it once a month anyway because it's just me living here now. And um, generally it's about once a month I go out and feed it with the toilet material uh, and the food scraps and, and whatnot. So when I checked it, it was the temperature was about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, if I remember correctly. Pretty, pretty low, really. It wasn't frozen, or I think it might have gone down. Uh, I have another pile here, went down to 40 Fahrenheit. But then I went out and fed it. I, I, I dumped a bunch of toilet material, I threw a dead animal in there, a bunch of food scraps. And three days later, it, it was 100, 126 Fahrenheit. And of course, you're center feeding, right? When you're center feeding, you're feeding uh, all the toilet material and everything into the active part of the pile, which is what you want to do. At the same time, you're developing that material, that cover material cushion that envelops the pile. The other bin I have up at work, my, my shop up there, it was 40 degrees. Fahrenheit. We were, it was cold too outside. We were having some cold, nasty weather. I think it was December. I got, I've been getting uh, beer from the local brew pub where they make their beer. Uh, when they pour beer at the bar, uh, the foam that, that comes off the top goes down a drain. They end up with a bucket of of this stuff by the end of the day. Uh, it's just beer is what it is. Beer mixed with some water because they're, they're, you know, they're drinking, they're rinsing the, uh, the, uh, the bar and stuff. In any case, uh, I've been, I dumped that, I've dumped three, three of those buckets of beer on that compost bin up here at my shop. And it went from 40 degrees to 120 four or something like that in in this three a three-day period so part of keeping a, a compost pile active 
in the winter is keeping it fed. And liquids are great. And especially if they're room temperature, if you're dumping cold liquids in, it's not so good. If you, if, if, if you allow them to be at room temperature or even warmer, the compost microorganisms really appreciate it. You can pour boiling, boiling, almost boiling liquids into your compost bin, bin in the winter. And that won't hurt no. the microorganisms? Nope, nope. See, I make, I make brandy here and I uh, boil wine. And, uh, you know, the, the brandy comes off through a, a distillation process. And what's left gets dumped in the compost bins. And I pref- if I can, while it's still hot, that's when I like to dump it in. Because it's a uh, the the microorganisms love love that heat, and it and it activates the pile. Great. Well, I I feel like I could ask you FAQs all day, um, but I want to make sure that people know where to find you and where they can learn more about your the fourth edition of the Human or Handbook. Uh, yeah, uh, the the book. The book's available on Amazon. If you don't like buying from Amazon, <coughs> humanorhandbook.com, uh, they can buy it there. Great. And that's right from you. Yeah, that's from me. I will be providing a uh, uh, ebook, maybe a Kindle version, probably a Kindle version, and other formats like that, that so they can be read. The book can be read. Uh, electronically as well, but if they want a paper copy, they can get it either from me directly at humanorhandbook.com or from Amazon. And also humanorhandbook.com has, that's where you can access the videos. It's linked to the YouTube. Uh, they're, they're embedded on the uh, website there. And there are plenty of uh, photos and things too. I do have one video of, of winter composting when it was, um, I think it was four degrees outside Fahrenheit. And my compost was 120 something, maybe 130. And um, you know, you, you, the compost is 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 cushioned by the cover material, and it's also in a bin. You never want to have compost in an exposed pile. It has to be contained in a, in some kind of a bin, and it's preferably on an earth with an earth floor. So that's I forgot to mention that one mistake people make when they're making compost is they just Put everything, dump everything out in an open pile. That's not how you make compost. Uh, you, it has to be in a bin, contained, elevated, and, and held above ground, uh, where nothing can get into it, like dogs or horses. You know, in, in Nicaragua, horses want to eat the cover material. So um, that's all described in the in the new edition of the book. So I, I hope people read it. Uh, not not because I'm trying to make money on it or anything, but because I think the information is important, and uh, and I'm updating everything, bringing it up to speed for the 21st century. Yeah, well, I'm excited to uh, to get a copy. I I have the third edition. It's it's in the bathroom in my tiny house on the shelf for anybody who wants to read while they're enjoying the the compost toilet. Oh, good, good. Yeah, take that third edition and just start using it for toilet paper at this point. <laughs> Compost it slowly. Yeah, one page at a time. <laughs> or maybe I'll, I'll put it into a garden shredder and, and use it as cover material. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 
Well, Joe Jenkins, uh, thank you for everything that you've done and con- you've contributed so much to the tiny house movement through your work on the Humanor Handbook and your research into into composting human manure. So thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It was my pleasure and best of luck to you. Thanks, Joe. You too. You can find the show notes and links to everything we discussed in today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash 054. I love hearing from listeners of the show. If you have something nice to say, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help others find the show and really help keep me motivated to make a new one every single week. And if there's something that you'd like to hear me cover on the show, whether it's just a simple question about my tiny house lifestyle or an idea for an entire episode, send me an email, podcast at thetinyhouse.net. I really love hearing from listeners and I'd love to hear from you. Again, that's podcast at thetinyhouse.net. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.